Hey guys, welcome back to Dr. Z, a world never mentioned. And we have our next interview episode, and this time on South Asia. So all the way from Florida, we have Mr. Sanjay Upadhyay. Sanjay Upadhyay is a Nepali journalist, author, and analyst. His latest book, Backfire in Nepal, How India Lost the Plot to China, is scheduled for release in early 2021. Upadhyay has worked for the British Broadcasting Corporation, the Times of London, Interpress Service, College Times, and the United Nations. His previous books include Nepal and the Geostrategic Rivalry Between China and India, and The Raj Lives, India and Nepal. So I am super excited to interview a person who is very well versed with the cultures and geopolitical occurrences in this region. And I hope you guys are too. So introducing Mr. Sanjay Upadhyay. So hey Sanjay, how are you doing? I'm great, Zian, how are you? I'm doing well. Um, so far, I've been enjoying my winter break from online school, so it's been pretty peaceful. And I'm getting prepared for the new year as well. Hopefully, things will get back to normal very soon. Oh, that's right. Yeah, it's been a terrible year for yeah. all of us. Pretty rough, yeah. So are you ready to get started, Sanjay? Yes, I am. All right, let's get to it. So my first question to you, what exactly is your book about? Well, this new one that's coming coming up uh, early next year is called Backfire in Nepal, How India Lost the Plot to China. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, the, the theme is, uh, it's a little strange that, you know, India has been the driving force of any democratic- Very sure, yeah. And this time, uh, you know, China somehow out of the blue came out to, uh, you know, with a preponderant position that has left everybody surprised right now. Mm-hmm. Even to this day, as we are speaking, I mean, we have Chinese uh, delegations in Nepal trying to um, influence the uh, country, uh, ruling party to reverse the uh, party split and etc. We don't know what's it's happening exactly right now, but it's just like amazing that, you know, people would... Yeah. Uh, have expected since Nepal became a republic in 2008. Yeah, I absolutely love it, Sanjay, and I'll definitely be checking it out too. And hopefully listeners will as well. Remember, the scheduled release is early next year in 2021. But one follow-up question to that, as we talk about how Nepal is kind of sandwiched between two global superpowers, would you say that the culture in Nepal, even though it has its own kind of cultural developments, is more similar to India or to China after all these political influences? Predominantly India. There are there are certain um, Chinese uh, influences, especially mm-hmm. along the northern belt with Tibet. Makes sense, yeah. But yeah, but um, it's mostly India because you know the India the border with India is totally open, unregulated, mm-hmm. and geographically very accessible. Whereas, sense, you know, yeah. the Chinese border is um, more mountainous, you know. Very, yeah, with the uh, Himalayas and everything. Yes, forbidding. So it is very, very, uh, you know, Indian-oriented uh, uh, in terms of uh, food, in terms of movies, in terms of entertainment, yep. everything. So it's more, more predominantly Indian. Yeah, and that would make sense, too, because of, you know, like mainly Hinduism being a religion and the languages are pretty similar. So I understand what you're talking about from there. So um, our next question here is, tell me a little bit about where you're from and what kind of lifestyle did you have growing up? 
Um, well, I was born in Nepal, in Kathmandu, the capital. But at a very early year, I early age, I came to the United States, New York City. I lived there for four years, where my father was a Nepalese diplomat posted to the UN. Mm -hmm. And then um, growing up, I uh, moved to Bangkok um, as part of the same, my, my dad's uh, work. Mm -hmm. And from the early 70s, I've been um, back in Nepal. I was back in Nepal. But the interesting thing is I soon moved to a region that was bordering India. So it was more like uh, right on the Indian border. Got it. And, mm -hmm. Yeah, given that... Um, you know, the border was open and, uh, you know, I, it's, it's funny because I can tell you a story. You know, I, I, I used to go to India every day to read my newspaper. Oh, really? So you're like yeah. that close to India? That close. I just walked oh, across wow. the border, go to the newsstand uh, where this was, this gentleman was kind enough to let this student, you know, uh, read his uh, Times of India for free. Uh, oh, and, and okay. that, that was every day. And so I, I, I used to go to India every day. And I can tell you from another vantage point, my dad's birthplace, when we used to go there, it's right on the border. Mm -hmm. And when we travel there, there's no way of knowing like whether you're on Nepalese territory or Indian territory. Because, you know, the, 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 the village road kind of zigzags between India and Nepal. Uh, oh, wow. That nobody has a clue now where you are at that particular moment. No, nothing. And there's no border markers. So it was pretty interesting, you know, that way. Yeah, I never realized it was that open of a border. And I guess with how similar the cultures are, I mean, that's a really interesting, unique standpoint you bring up there. It is because, you know, and even to this day, of course, you know, things have changed a bit, you know, crime, smuggling and security, mm -hmm. these things. But still, it is a largely open, unregulated border. We don't need passports, you know. Uh, we just have IDs and then if they need, need it, uh, visa-free, no visas. So it's pretty, oh, so you know. Oh, so it's still like that, even in today's oh, world with security like that, and everything. No, yeah, yeah. It's not, it's not, uh, it's not uh, restricted in your traditional sense at all. Yeah, I got it. And um, bringing that up, I mean, you got a great exposure, mix of exposure from being able to be raised in your um, numerous different lifestyles and also being connected to your own roots in Nepal as well. So it looks like you've done quite a bit of traveling. I mean, being able to go to Bangkok is definitely a different, completely different culture than being in South Asia. So that must have been very, very cool. Uh, yes, it, it was because it was in the early days, you know, um, Bangkok was just opening up and there's a, there was a large Indian community there. Oh, is that uh, so? Oh, yeah. I mean, we used to go watch Hindi movies. And then uh, even then, I mean, that, that I'm talking about the late 1960s. Of course, Bangkok has changed tremendously. I'm sure it has, uh, yeah. But, uh, you know, it was more like, you know, your, your community there. And there were fewer Nepalis, of course, but then... Uh, the first thing uh, we would uh, strike up a friendship with was with Indians, basically, because of mm -hmm. a common culture. Yeah. And um, now that we've talked about like where you traveled, I mean, where all in South Asia have you actually traveled to besides, from, of course, India? And how were your experiences over there? Well, um, India, I've uh, I've stayed there a lot. I've lived there a lot. But, you know, the other countries, Pakistan, Bangladesh, Bhutan, very just as a transit person, I, I don't have a. Uh, too much uh, time spent there. But what I did was I was uh, working in Dubai for about three years in uh, uh, 1997 to 2000, 
where uh, at the newspaper where I worked, it was virtual South Asia. I mean, you had Indians, Pakistanis, Bangladeshis. Oh, yeah. And I can definitely attest that because my mom was raised in Dubai at that time. So there was definitely a large South Asian population over there. I mean, it was like, so even at work, it was more or less, you know, you were involved with South Asia there. I mean, everything from cricket matches yeah. uh, to, uh, I mean, you know, the, the, the good, good side, the bad side. But still, I mean, uh, it was very interesting to see these, uh, you know, the commonalities, these, uh, these uh, very, very uh, strong links that even go above, you know, the political differences. It was just amazing. Like, I can tell you a story. I mean, I, I would basically be speaking Hindi. I mean, the Nepali uh, uh, variant of it, uh, how a Nepal, yeah. regular Nepali would speak. And Pakistanis would come and t- congratulate me on my marvelous Urdu. And I say, <laughs> you know, oh. I'm speaking Hindi. And uh, basically, yeah. everybody would understand it. We just have a with the basic Sanskrit root, you know, uh, Bengali, uh, we would understand that. And even South Asians, like I would say, uh, we had a lot of South Asian, uh, South South Indian um, staff members, uh, a large South uh, Indian population there. But I could even make out much of the conversation just by the root of uh, Sanskrit words, you know, yeah. what they were talking about. So, you know, it was pretty interesting. I mean, it was basically, you know, South Asia alive there, basically. Oh my, yeah. And I mean, with Urdu and Hindi, they're all very, very similar to one another. I guess, I think the only difference between the two languages is that like Urdu has a little bit more of Arabic roots and Hindi and Nepali, I guess, have more Sanskrit roots, if I'm correct, right? Yeah, but for for Nepalis, uh, we, we, there was a bit of uh, an advantage for me in, in the sense that uh, Nepali uh, has this uh, Arabic uh, and Farsi uh, root which probably uh, makes us a, a little bit closer to, um, uh, uh, you know, Urdu. But again, um, this, uh, the way I read, I have to read Urdu is through the Devnagari script, through the Hindi script. I don't read the, you know, Urdu, traditional Urdu uh, uh, script that's like Arabic. Yeah, it's like somewhat more similar to like Arabic kind of script. Yeah, so what mm-hmm. I do is we, we have that... Um, Urdu written in the Hindi script. So, you know, with all those uh, particular grammar forms and uh, everything else. Uh, so that's that's pretty amazing. Yeah, that is. And we'll get right back to the languages because I do have another question about languages coming up for you. But when you talked about Bhutan, it was really interesting because I never got a chance to cover Bhutan in my previous episode. But when you traveled there, was there something that really struck out to you? Well, I mean, Bhutan would be, let's say, you know, it's it was a mixture of uh, ethnic Nepalese and ethnic Bhutanese oh, at that okay. time. So what would happen was, uh, you know, half the population was at that time, um, you know, they spoke Nepali. They were basically, they had Nepali surnames, they had Nepali names. Of course, the dialect would be a little different. We'd have to try to you know, pay attention to the nuances. But it was, it was... Um, basically uh, an extension of our uh, like travels in eastern Nepal uh, where you cross the border into India and then you have Sikkim uh, and then Bhutan so it, it and Darjeeling the, these all uh, parts uh, of India and uh, Bhutan is an independent country of course you know you you don't feel that uh, different there because 
the language is there, and even the ethnic Bhutanese would understand uh, you know, Nepali, whereas uh, you know we wouldn't understand their language, the official uh, uh, Bhutanese uh, language. But uh, it was uh, amazing there. Yeah, and actually, something I recall is that what's really interesting about Bhutan is that they actually have a way of measuring their well-being, known as like the the gross national happiness, and also claiming the spot for being one of the happiest countries in the world. So I found that extremely fascinating. Yeah, that was a pre- pre- very early precursor to this whole concept of, you know, uh, human development as development, you know, how, how development impacts the person as a whole. So their gross national happiness uh, uh, was really, really something new at the time. And even today, I mean, that's how they measure it. They, they have this wildly marvelous... Uh, interrelationship with nature uh, and then um, you know it's they, they preserve their identity within uh, between India between uh, the, the Tibet region of China and even Nepal so you know they, they, it's a remarkable place I mean the way they've uh, managed their existence I love that yeah it's it's a culture that I'm sure many people should really take a deep look into because there's a lot going on there in a really quiet country it is it is yeah. So now as we and you're we were actually bringing up a lot of this stuff, but coming into this question, if there's anything that anyone should know about South Asia, what should it be? Well, I mean, you know, this whole notion, these uh, the conventional wisdom is that, you know, the, these countries don't get along and, you know, it's all that. But what amazes me is, you know, once you rise above the politics, it's just, um, you know, it's just that it's just amazing that, you know, how common uh, we are. I mean, how how uh, our food, uh, our culture, music, literature, we share that so much. Like, you know, you talk about, you know, Bang- Bengali literature, you'll probably have uh, uh, Bangladesh, uh, India's West Bengal, and mm-hmm. even Pakistan be- be- before, before uh, their, uh, before the independent Bangladesh was yeah. born. So, you talk about Punjabi literature, it'll, it'll probably go to, you know, Pakistan and uh, Nepal and in, because we have we have a, a, a sizable uh, Punjabi uh, presence there. You know, they, they, they kind of were the pioneers of Nepali transport in Nepal, the Punjabi mm-hmm. community. So, oh, yeah, okay. so, so th- that and then even talk about uh, Sri Lanka because of the uh, Buddhist and uh, Hindu. I mean, the Tamils would probably would be more uh, towards uh, Hindu religion, and uh, with uh, Bangladesh, uh, uh, with uh, I mean, uh, Sri Lanka, the the Buddhist uh, Sinhalese would have this connection because of Nepal being the birthplace of Lord Buddha, in India being where the Buddha became Buddha, and then mm-hmm. parts of uh, Pakistan and other parts that where Buddha's tra- Buddha traveled and Buddhism kind of um, uh, expanded to other parts of the world. So there's this kind of thread that goes through that's more uh, deep-rooted and more ancient than, you know, any of these modern uh, uh, political differences that, you know, generally dominate the headlines. And that's that's um, something that I should, that, that's remarkable to me from someone uh, from the region. And I, I think it would be... Uh, as remarkable, if not more, to people outside coming there outside of the region. Yeah, and I'm extremely, extremely glad that you brought this up. I mean, I think that all stems from the fact that before all these political conflicts, 
this was all like one country and with the close um, geographical proximity, they all were able to exchange culture. Like, for example, Sri Lanka gaining Buddhism that started in India and Nepal and so on. And I really would like to emphasize that even though South Asia is super diverse, there are also many ways that the region is united. I mean, for example, Bollywood movies, like whether you're from Sri Lanka or from Pakistan, I'm sure you're going to probably know who Bollywood actor Shah Rukh Khan is. And Everybody all does. the diets are very yeah. similar and so on. No, that's that's uh, something great. And, you know, you have a lot of, uh, well, let's just say we have a couple of Nepali actresses who, who were big in uh, Bollywood. Even today, you have Pakistani singers who are active, very popular there. Yeah, like uh, Raad Ali, Ali Khan and, yeah. you know, you have Sri Lankan actress Jacqueline Fernandez and Bollywood. Yes. It's just everyone's mixing in. So, so you know, there's that, you, you know, it's almost as if there's this relationship that moves in parallel, you know, at the political level, there's one kind, there are dynamics that, you know, probably are different, but at the public level, people's level, even food, uh, you know, reading, uh, sports kind of, uh, kind of brings it together. Uh, oh, cricket. especially cricket. Yes, sure that, especially that kind cricket. of is something really, really great. Uh, Nepal is a very uh, recent entrant uh, into this, and then, but still, we have Nepali players playing for Indian. Oh yeah, no, and they're oh. they're developing very well. I mean, there's exactly. this one Nepali bowler who is like dominating right now. So exactly, I mean, cricket's one thing that unites us all as well. So it it does things I mean, like that. Yeah, and and then and then we have these uh, uh, these uh, le- shared a legacy from uh, the past that. Probably, you know, actually more than unites us more than divides us. They, they, they kind of brings us to this kind of understanding. You know, you uh, say something, and then you uh, people say from uh, people have, who have migrated from families that have migrated from uh, you know nine, uh, India to Pakistan or the other side, and then Bangladesh the same way. Nepal's open border, and then the. Um, uh, influence in, uh, in northern Sri Lanka, uh, Bhutan, of course, Maldives, uh, despite, you know, being a, a little uh, removed in the yeah. ocean. But I mean, still, as part of the South Asian uh, Association for Regional Cooperation, we have this organization there. Um, you know, it's it's done great uh, in terms of, of cultural exchanges. I mean, not many political uh cooperation going on but in terms of culture tourism uh, trade i mean really really uh, slow but really steady kind of integration of uh, cultures and countries yeah and i'm really glad we had this conversation because i'm sure when a lot of people think of south asia they think okay india and pakistan warring countries and you think of all of that but in general it's just they're, they're actually really similar no, I mean, it's just so amazing. You know, I, I can tell you another story. You know, I would talk to, you know, uh, Pakistanis in Kashmir, basically, you know. So Kashmir is supposed to be the <clears throat> dispute to the yeah. territory there. And we would talk about, you know, as a Nepali, I would be probably, you know, seen as a little bit neutral. So both sides would open up to me. And then, but as I, as I w- uh, went, uh, you know, uh, deeper into you know the, the nuances of the place you know the separate the parts in india the parts in the, the part in um, pakistan and then this pakistani friend kinds of comes up and tells me these stories from the ramayan and i say man how, how you you you're a muslim country and um, 
how do you know these Ramayan stories, uh, so, you know, so well? And he said, <laughs> you know what? Uh, we we used to catch, you know, Indian Doordarshan uh, from, uh, you know, the, from the Indian side of Kashmir and we used to watch it. So he knew every, every wow. story about the Ramayan. And that, that was something that was something that really, really impressed me. And then we got back to, you know, the heated political disputes again. But then it's kind of interlaced. So <clears throat> you go eat and then the food's the same. You wear stuff, uh, clothes, the uh, food, uh, everything's the same. You sing the same guzzles, uh, music. Uh, yeah, it's just amazing. It is, it is. And now we should come to my favorite question in this interview, or should I say every interview? What are some of your favorite South Asian dishes? Oh gosh, there's every place has its own. You know, I'll start with the Nepal's mumu exactly, yeah, dumplings. I mean, South Indian idli sambar, dosa, oh. uh, North mm -hmm. India, Pakistan, Mughlai dishes. I mean, all the whole um, lineup. East Indian, Bangladeshi fish. I mean, it's just that uh, uh, greatness of, uh, you know, variety and um, oh, of course, uh, yeah. cuisine. And of course, the common thread. I mean, the rice, dal, roti, vegetables. I mean, a common thread. We all have that uh, common... Um, uh, you know, you 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 gather uh, at a cafeteria in a South Asian cafeteria, and I mean, it's just like you know, we're all there together. Yeah, and um, okay, Mr. Upadhyaya, I have had all those dishes, and I can absolutely affirm to everything you've just said that they are delicious. However, I'm going to ask you one question, and there's only one correct answer. Are you ready? Yes. All right. Do you like biryani? Oh, that's like, I mean, which one? I mean, I've just had so many. Different oh, too many lists. There's like Malabar. Yeah. I mean, I've, too I, many. I, yeah. I mean, it's just great. I mean, no matter what biryani, just the mix of those yes, flavors I mean, and like, rice and curry and chicken, it's whatever meat you can. It's so much variety. It is. I mean, it's a, it's the closest anybody can get into, you know, uh, like in the early days when um, and, and Indian food, Nepali food was not available, even in the West. Uh, that was the savior. You know, you, you see an Indian restaurant, you just jump because, you know, there's been five days. Yeah, you, you haven't had rice properly. Uh, so you want, you know, food from back home. And then, man, you just go in there and then you grab your share of biryanis. Yeah. And of course, and. No matter what anyone tells me, biryani will always be my favorite food. Oh, it's, it's biryani and any, I mean, I'm sure you're non-veg. So, I mean, there's like chili chicken, chicken 65. Oh, no. I mean, yeah, they're I mean, it's quite like westernized. But... Yeah, it's, it's just amazing. Yeah. I mean, it's just like the, the richness of it. And then it just brings everything together. I mean, the whole region culture uh, together. I mean, it's just amazing. And not to mention, I mean, South Asian food can be pretty spicy. I mean, I've had quite a few of my American friends come over and try my mom's biryani or my mom's chicken curry, and God dang, they oh. they really had to get a lot of water. I mean, I mean, spicy it was too hot for them. Really, really spicy. I mean, you really have to have that the tongue for that. I mean, it's just great. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, as we go on more about culture, I mean, what are some of the festivals you celebrate? Well, uh, Nepal being, you know, uh, predominantly Hindi, Hindu, we have the Dasara, Diwali, of course. Um, and then uh, we have, you know, very, very um, uh, significant, we have like a small, but, you know, very close-knit uh, Muslim and Christian uh, minority. So, of course, Eid, the two Eids, uh, mm -hmm. Christmas, uh, they are celebrated both as, you know, religious uh, and cultural events. And then um, 
so it's uh, it's basically the entire lineup of uh, you know Buddha, Buddha Purnima, and then you have the Harvest mm -hmm. Festival. You know, maybe they're called different. You know, but some 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 places they're called Baisaki, depending on the calendar we use. Like the Vikram calendar would probably in places uh, would have parts of India, Sri Lanka, and Nepal would probably have them falling on the same day. Others would be even the smaller, um, uh, smaller uh, ones would be Rakshabandhan. I mean, not lesser known ones. So we we have all those festivals that they're very very common there. Yeah, very common. And as we talk, and I see like a lot of common elements again between India and Nepal. And I have to ask you. So as a Nepali, when you celebrate these Hindu festivals like Diwali, do you? have different traditions in comparison to how they're celebrated in India? Well, yes. I mean, a, a lot of times, you know, it's just like even say, let's say, um, you know, Nepal would probably have a little more um, uh, of the old um, uh, tradition, the, the, the original tradition that was the pre-Hindu, which would probably see more like, you know, sacrifices, animal sacrifices, which, which probably wouldn't. Uh, be that pronounced in India. I mean, I, from what I hear from my Indian friends. And then um, even in, in terms of uh, vegetarianism, like Nepalese are not necessarily uh, vegetarian, but uh, those who are, um, they would avoid, um, you know, even fish and eggs, which I assume or understand that a lot of my Indian friends vegetarian friends would eat so it's it's, it's some of these uh, uh, local uh, differences would probably be surprising at the beginning but uh otherwise you know the same gods goddesses or the same uh, cultures mm -hmm. the same uh, you know uh we have the uh, mandirs uh, bells and then we have the call to prayer from the uh you know, mosques, and then we have... Of course, yeah. So it's all like, you know, they're all kind of mixed there. Uh, of course, depending on which part of Nepal you are in, some are more uh, heavily intermixed, some are not. But still, I mean, everybody is like, you know, it comes from a common everyday uh, experience. Mm -hmm. And I love this question because it kind of just demonstrates the religious and cultural syncretism and blending of how um, similar but different different ethnic groups are. Uh, yes, I mean, it's just like uh, uh, if you uh, even if I was just counting, you know, the number of dialects and, uh, you know, considering the size of, of Nepal, I mean, I was just going through this list where they had 127 dialects of Nepali. I mean, it's oh, like wow. so diverse. Yeah, it's so diverse. I mean, every wow. small community, even even people of a hundred hundred people, maybe less than hundred, would have their own language. Uh, but then Nepali would kind of uh, uh, be the common uh, denominator there. Hindi is spoken, Urdu is spoken, and English, of course. Uh, so it's this, uh, you know, it's amazing to see all the d diversity that you know is that is exists but then there's like we're all you know have this we are nepalis we're indians we're pakistanis we're bangladeshis but then again we're you know south asians in that sense you know it's just amazing yeah we're all one basically yeah mm -hmm. and um 
now coming to this one so you just talked about dialect so this kind of is a perfect transition um what languages do you know from south asia and how different is each one in comparison to the other um well um i can tell you like uh you know basically we're all from the sanskrit uh, uh root but uh, mm-hmm. given our different um uh, uh experiences historically you know nepal being long being a, a monarchy uh, we had these court uh, traditions of Arabic and Farsi, which is heavily uh, dependent on, we have a, are heavily influencing Nepali. But uh, that way it puts us uh, a little bit closer to Urdu and um, Hindi, of course, we would, uh, Hindi would be completely comprehensible. Uh, and the other Indian languages, I would say Bengali, I can understand, but not right because of the script. Um, yeah. The other languages. And South Indian languages are, I'm sure, are completely different. Yeah. And then again, I, I developed this ear uh, just by, you know, in Dubai with my friends. And oh, yeah. I, when they were uh, conversing, and I would just try to pick up the, uh, you know, words and the Sanskrit. Uh, elements and kind of makes sense but basically it would be uh hindi urdu nepali of course and a couple of uh, nepali uh, regional languages that have a, a connection across the border in india you know bhojpuri over the maithali these languages mm-hmm. yeah and you're com- i can completely understand that i mean as a malayali myself which is a language spoken all the way down south in India. When I'm trying to watch um Bollywood movies which speak Hindi, I still need subtitles <laughs> because they just sound completely different. No, it is because even even for us, you know, the, the Hindi, uh, well, it's changed these days. But you know, not traditionally, when you when you speak of uh, Hindi uh, movies made in uh, Bombay, it would have this Bombay uh, slant of Hindi, which you would have to know either by watching a lot of Hindi movies or know the language, uh, you know, these slangs and everything, but, but it's a learning experience. And then uh, you watch the other uh, Hindi movies that are say more art, arty type artistic movies. And then you have these polished Urdu uh, language uh, words. And then you go and try, con- try to consult, you know, uh, your dictionary and then you know what your trilingual <laughs> dictionary there in English <laughs> uh, Sanskrit sometimes even four times yeah so I had that at home and um, but it was fun I mean basically yeah it definitely is and so coming to your background I mean you you now live in the U.S. in Florida and you've been you now you, I'm sure you can easily distinguish between the western cultures and cultures in South Asia so what is the biggest difference you can see between these two cultures? Well, like um, what, what I feel is uh, there's this a certain, uh, you know, the, 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 basically it goes down to the, the place of the family uh, in South Asia, which I find is a little bit, uh, retains its uh, original quote unquote uh, status. Uh, so, you know, Mm-hmm. The cultures and festivals kind of bring you together, whether you like your relatives or not. I mean, it's just like something to do and then respect for the elderly. Um, but things are changing there, too. I mean, you know, 
people, uh, the satellite uh, television in the early 90s, and then uh, even now, I mean, people just, you know, we can converse about the same TV programs here, uh, same uh, cultural shows there. Um, of course, with like Netflix and all these universal kind of broadcasts. Yeah, they just channels. come in there, which which probably when I was growing up in Nepal, I probably have to, would have to either very limited access to uh, Hollywood movies, uh, maybe mm -hmm. radio broadcasts. Voice of America, BBC, rarely any television, um, and then uh, read, you know, mag the only magazines you'd probably get was Time and Newsweek, the Asian edition. But now, I mean, everybody, it's, 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 it's closer. But culturally, as I, as I, as a, as a parent of two children here and uh, trying to, you know, see uh, the intermingling of these uh, Eastern and Western cultures. I think it's the family, the place of the family where um, here there's a lot of independence and which the family does uh, encourage, uh, the parents do encourage after a certain age, whereas we, you know, kind, kind of hold on to, you know, our children and, uh, mm -hmm. yeah. and they too have a certain, you know, inside they know that, oh, my family's there for me, but then, you know, they're here with their independence with their peers and then i think it's that and even but there's this understanding and this coexistence that uh it's it's amazing that how uh you know south asians have been able to navigate the, it these days i mean it's not it's not it's not at all uh what it used to be the the difference you know especially with the availability of food and you know availability of, of everything you know Indian movie channels to subscribe on basic regular cable or uh, just the Indian stores or the Pakistani stores or uh, whatever. I mean, mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's uh, that, that, that difference has just gone away. Now, now I don't have to, uh, uh, you know, probably even mentioning, saying my name would, would probably be Osanjay. Oh, like in the 1990s, when I was here, I, I would have to spell it out. Now it's, it's Sanjay and everybody, especially at the hospitals, everybody knows it from Sanjay Gupta. So, oh yeah, Sanjay, Sanjay, what? I don't have to Oh yeah. Out. Yeah. I mean, so it's in the inner, in the, yeah. And like the interconnected world we live in. Yeah. I mean, the mass immigration of all these South Asians. Exactly. Become, then, like a name like Sanjay is pretty, pretty common. common. And that I could, I could really, really, um, uh, see from the early 1990s when I was at NYU and these days, I mean, it's just amazing. Mm -hmm. And I completely agree with that. I mean, something I've noticed um, in comparison to like non-Western cultures, when like in like, for example, South Asia, you have these family ties that are super important and they live in collectivist societies where family is basically everything. While I guess in Western cultures, people are a lot more. Yes, yes. There are there are mm -hmm. institutional um, reasons for that. You know, ours is more like family oriented government. Okay, we have that government there, but a lot of things the family is expected to do, especially uh, collective guilds like religious guilds. You know, people of a common um, ancestry or a common you know lineage will will gather together, and they're expected to help each other out. Um, so it's it's just like we're more uh, family oriented that way, uh, and here it's independent. You have you have institutions and you have agencies that are you know very supportive 
of maintaining that um, independence. So, you know, I think there's a lot of context to that as well. Completely agree. And now our final question of this amazing interview. If someone wanted to travel anywhere in South Asia, what advice or tips would you give them? I mean, the most important one is always pay attention to what you eat and drink. I mean, it's not that, you know, uh, it's just that even for someone living there or going out from here, for me, it's always a problem for depending on uh, what uh, food I have. The first two days will probably, then you the, the third day, fourth day, you you, um, you have your um, stomach growling and soon you have a fever <laughs> and then you know doctors are not, may not be uh, easily available so it's always uh, you know to pay attention to yourself that way um you know english is generally spoken understood you know people are helpful mm-hmm. they might you know the, the demeanor and uh temperament sometimes might not seem like uh they are helpful but they are believe me um, I'm yeah, sure. And yeah. And so you ask uh, for help, you know, w- whether you need uh, directions, you need doctors, you get lost. And even a little bit of uh, mindfulness on, you know, the food you get. Like if there's something you want to look, feel like you want to avoid, you, you, you don't want to be adventurous and, you know, try, just avoid it at least uh, until you're familiar with uh, what you're getting into and then uh, like i said you know reading up a little in advance would be extremely helpful lots of guidebooks i mean all kinds and are available and just knowing the place uh, uh, and what, what do's and what where to go what to eat uh, at what level and for each of these countries it's just like if there's so much available to uh, understand the place and people that I think you know it's it's uh, it's it, it's a learning experience which everybody will differ in their uh, experience mm-hmm. and I honestly find it so funny that you bring up like making sure that you are being sanitary is and because there are these street side shops that fill up the roads and almost everywhere in South Asia. And they're so tempting, whether it is like the Panipuri stations or the dosa carts. But they're, um, I must say, they're also very delicious. However, I wouldn't describe them as like the most sanitary, you know? I mean, you're out on the road. There's quite a lot of germs out there. And I'm sure you can attest to how delicious they are, but you do have to make sure that you're very careful about what you're eating and whether it's actually safe or not. Yes, and then the, the, the drinking water. One thing that's always baffled me is, you know... <clears throat> The, the, the very next person, you know, I, it's it, 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 if water kind of troubles me, I'll, I'll, I'll have like five people who can stomach it. I mean, I don't know what it is, how, how it affects people differently, but um, it's just like uh, some people are just very good at uh, absorbing and, 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 and digesting, you know, taking that water in, whereas others are like, they have a tough time. I mean, I, I don't know how to explain it, but... So the best idea would be to pay, like, you know, real, real attention to the water. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I'm, I can completely agree with that. I mean, as someone who's traveled to India every other year, and when I was younger, I would always get those stomach bugs. So just making sure that you pay attention to what you eat and drink is super important when you're traveling to quite a foreign um, region. Uh, yes, yes, that's true. And otherwise, I mean, because of this uh, growing interaction, I mean, it's... it's, it's uh, 
it's amazing once you you know plan ahead a bit you know sometimes like you don't know what events you know sometimes there might be strikes you know power outages or yeah oh, or flight cancellations these are pretty tend to be pretty re regular compared to here but but again you know a little planning uh you know would help a lot yeah and especially with all the first of all you have like many i mean i guess each state or each sub region has their own um major city that has a lot of places to visit and you might also want to read up yes. on that to make sure that okay i have this perfect day that i can visit this and this and this and you get to really experience what truly is the south asian exactly. culture yeah and i think with that i think we shall conclude this interview i really appreciate you being here sanjay and it was a very engaging interview and i love the insight thank you for having me i really really enjoyed it a lot so did i and i hope you have a good night and happy new happy year. new year to you too so hopefully you guys enjoyed our talk with sanjay and be sure to check out his latest book releasing in early 2021 i'd like to conclude our segment with a quote and this one from shada savage travel expands the mind and fills the gap or in hindi yatra man ka vistar karti hai aur antar ko bharti hai